with all not your truth or kindness, Lord. With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. Have you ever gone through life and didn't think anything was really wrong, but you experienced some kind of trauma which helped you recognize your need for more concentrated healing? Or maybe you've already tried talking to a therapist, but didn't really feel like it's helping. You'll want to join me today for this two-part episode, where I welcome Julie Eichenroth, Executive Director of Freedom Farm Ministries based in Traverse City, Michigan. We'll talk about that healing and the ways God helps others find healing through freedom, dignity, and joy as they discover how they are loved and noticed by God. Well, Julie, welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Susan. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I want to tell our listeners a little bit about how we met and how we got connected. And uh, some years ago, I was an advisor for Spring Arbor University, and you walked in my door. And you were my first friendly face. <laughs> and here you were. I knew you were nervous, as most students are when they're coming and going, am I really going to venture into a, a degree program at this stage in my life? And you came in, and immediate connection. And I knew right then that the Holy Spirit was at work in your life. And you were excited about to the prospect of school and all kinds of things and so it was delightful to meet you then and to encourage your education since then we've kind of kept in touch here and there some on facebook yeah, some just facebook. yeah yeah because <laughs> i've moved out of the area but i'm just so excited to see what god's doing in your life the one thing i think that we really shared in common and i heard from your heart when i met you was that you wanted to comfort others with the same comfort you've received from God, as Second Corinthians uh, three and four states. And I think that was that was a big bond that we had at that moment because you were excited about different things in your life. So one of the things you talked about was this book called "How to Stop the Pain." Yeah. And you introduced him this book. You were so enthusiastic about yeah. this book. I mean, I have never seen someone be so excited about a book in my life. I'm I'm honest and. I, I was like, well, I better read this, you know? And so I read this book, and just like it did for you, it changed a lot of my perspective. So I want to talk a little bit about that, but the core mm-hmm. of it is healing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God notices in all kinds of ways. Sometimes we go through life and we don't realize that some, we're hurting. And we don't realize that there's different ways that we can get healed. So tell me a little bit about your journey. What what were some of the points where you recognized that you need healing? Well, you know, I I grew up in a nice family. I don't think I had any significant traumas when I was a young girl. You know, we were a fun family. We did fun things together. I came to faith when I was 12, and that was a powerful, life-changing experience and experienced a fullness of the spirit when I was around 14, but it's interesting that even though I didn't have any really significant traumas or losses or anything that you would that could account for the depression that wound up being my life for 17 years. Mm-hmm. By the time I was in my teens, you know, nobody ever really gave me any insight as to how to be a healthy person. 
there I could describe my my life back then as sort of this bright light half of my life was full of light because I loved Jesus and I was reading the Bible and I was excited and I was growing in my faith and I was pretty on fire but then concurrent with that was this growing darkness and um, a, a growing depression and you know you might look at my life and not be able to account for that you know um, but like there wasn't anything really significant. That, that, there was no provoking event. There was okay. no traumatic event. Um, probably the most traumatic thing that happened to me was my grandmother died when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, she was an older lady and I had to help take care of her and stuff. And, and, you know, I wouldn't describe that as traumatic, though. But the depression became traumatic. And... Uh, it became an ever spiraling down. I, you could say it was spiraling down, but actually it was sort of like also a roller coaster ride. And I see this a lot with people who have depression is sort of chug up the hill of hope and then crash. And then chug up the hill of hope again and then crash. And not being able to regulate or manage that hope and crash thing, that eventually that cycle becomes... It's like a death spiral. It just, it, it, you have less and less energy to chug back up the hill and you crash harder and deeper and then eventually you flatline. Mm -hmm. And so even though I was excited uh, about the Lord and, and walking out my faith, I never lost my faith. Um, I felt lost, but I knew Jesus was the Son of God and I knew that I would be in heaven just because I put my faith in him. But I didn't really have any faith after a while that I would be of any use to him or have any love or joy in my life. And it wasn't till I was in my late teens when I had a desire, believe it or not, I was very interested in Christians behind the Iron Curtain who are persecuted. And I read everything I could lay my hands on mm. about persecution and I was fascinated with that subject. I was fascinated with how people persevered in the face of extreme trial and persecution, torture even. And it wasn't until a family friend and I had a talk, because I was actually planning to go with a mission in Germany that smuggled Bibles wow. into Soviet countries, you know, uh, communist countries. And I was passionate about that. And uh, she was a family friend, a friend of my mom's, but we loved her, and, and uh, she was like a confidant, and I was sharing this with her. And she's the first person who called out my depression. And she basically said, you know, you have an issue with depression and you can't go to a ministry in Germany that's risking their lives every day to take the word of God into communist countries and land on their doorstep with your depression. Can I ask what kind of symptoms did she think you had that? Well, I think she saw the instability emotionally. I think she saw my struggle and I, I shared things with her. But it wasn't until I got married in my early 20s and was in a very difficult, challenging marriage. I was not physically abused, but I could not access my, my husband's heart. Mm -hmm. And I felt very alone and bereft and um, abandoned in the marriage. And I tried... didn't feel very noticed, did you? I, did, I, I was definitely <laughs> not noticed. And, and we talked about this before, and it, and it really was like... 
being adrift and not knowing where you were in space because you had no reflection back from the person you were trying to love and asking for love that you were loved. It, it felt like I don't know where I am in this marriage. I don't know where I am in space in this marriage. And it, and what it did was it exacerbated the depression because it was constant daily rejection. And I was doing everything I could to be the good Christian wife. I thought you were. <laughs> oh, yeah. I worked really hard at it. And I saw counsel and I read my books yes, and all and of that. Yes, and you learned scripture and you did yep, your prayer. Yeah, I did all yep. of that. And, and good I, job. <laughs> yep. And, but um, it, didn't, it didn't really uh, help, you know, because I didn't, the other, well, I didn't know why I was depressed for one thing. I, I mean, I just, I didn't understand what was creating the depression. And then his rejection of me mm-hmm. and probably things that I did, I don't blame it all on him. I, I was emotionally unstable at the time, so it was challenging to be married. It was challenging raising children. There was a lot of strife, and um, eventually the marriage went down in flames. Um, but Jesus held on to me, and he rescued me. Um, he rescued my faith. But um, I, was, I was just getting worse and worse. And God heard the cry of my heart, as he often does, because he notices so us. Right. He's tracking everything we're doing. And, and when I was in my early 30s, someone gave me the name of a woman named Carol, who became my counselor. And I counseled with her. She was my therapist for two and a half years. And she was she saved my life. She, I basically staggered into her office. At that point, I probably should have been hospitalized because mm. I was so... I had crashed the last crash. I could crash, and I just flatlined. And Now, did your depression keep you from doing anything? What? How did that manifest itself? Well, it manifested itself. I mean, I still went to church. Um, I tried. I was on the worship team. Um, I loved people, but I was afraid of them. I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid of criticism. I was afraid of everything. Um, I was afraid to go to school. It was just, you know, I would spend time in bed, you know, like you do, because, you know, that old ad campaign, uh, depression um, is painful. You know, it, it, it is. When you're depressed, you feel the pain all over your body, and you're exhausted. But really, once I learned what caused the depression, and it's the whiplash or the roller coaster, back and forth and up and down, Mm -hmm. and the enemy uses this, and I'll tell you in a minute kind of how he uses that, but, and he wears you down until he just, he he just eats away at the edges of your soul, and until, and then this up and down, and I'll, and I know why now that up and down was happening, but it was exhausting, and so I was tired a lot, I, I would, you know, I functioned barely. I, I had jobs. I did yard work, and I, you know, worked at a Christian bookstore and different things. Um, but, but you I were was, just sad, I right? was It was sad, and I was beyond sad. I was actually suicidally depressed, wow. um, probably for the last maybe eight or ten years um, until my early 30s. And I was still married. I was, uh, at the time, I found my counselor. And I started seeing her, I actually was seeing her twice a week, but she was the first person who taught me how to think like a grown-up. And she taught me what I now call the heart skills, the skills of the heart. And she taught me about boundaries, she taught me to think in reality, because unfortunately in, in much of Christendom, 
Christian life, Christian churches, we don't know how to be emotionally healthy. That's true. And oftentimes our leadership structures and just the way we do church in general is very unhealthy. Uh, we focus on ministry, we focus on gifting, we focus on charisma, we focused on activity and busyness and programs. And many of them are very good things right. that we're doing. But we are not very relationship oriented and we don't we don't understand that the Word of God is a relational book because God is relational. So I was never taught the Bible through the relationship grid. Mm. I was taught doctrine. I was taught the sound doctrine of the gospel. But we didn't know how to do life together. We didn't know how to resolve a conflict. Mm -hmm. We didn't know how to speak honestly to each other. Be authentic. Be, be authentic. Um, power and uh, leadership power through leadership was often abused and I didn't understand that I was just trying my hardest to submit and be a good Christian woman and be a good Christian wife and I didn't understand any check of that. the check box yeah check the boxes and um, so Carol taught me how to think like a grown-up and I remember early on in the, the um, counseling sessions she would just say, you, you, she told me later, she, you have a flat affect. In other words, you had like I was so shut down, I had like no expression. And yet other times I might laugh inappropriately or whatever. It was just a turmoil. There was, I, was not, I, I was not a healthy person, and I was desperate. But she, I did the work. I went, I went to my counseling faithfully. I scraped the money together, and she helped me, you know, with... I could pay what I could, you know. But she saved my life. God used her to save my life. And I will bless and honor her mm -hmm. all the days mm -hmm. of my life because of what she did for me. Well, it's interesting because you really talk about how she spoke truth in your life. Mm -hmm. She didn't just... Yeah. And that's part of being authentic, too. Because sometimes we're afraid to say what really needs to be mm -hmm. said that would provide healing for someone mm -hmm. because we, we're, we're scared it's going to cause conflict or mm -hmm. cause something else. Mm -hmm. Or and, not be Christian enough. Yes. And remember one of the most... One of the most powerful moments was when she said to me, at that point, I was separated from my husband. I just had to have, I mean, and the separation was really with the idea of helping the marriage and healing the marriage to give us time to calm down and um, was not to be the next step toward divorce. Um, but I was getting counseling and he wasn't, he chose not to. But I remember talking about us as a family and she said, wait a minute. She said, your husband and your daughters are family. And you and your daughters are family, but you are not a family. And, and it just hit me between the eyes because she was right. I was so used to Christianizing everything mm -hmm. um, because I wanted to. I wanted to speak positively about my husband. I mm -hmm. wanted to speak positively mm -hmm. about my family and speak hopefully about our future and everything. But she was one of the first people that actually taught me how to look at life as reality. And then I realized later on, you know, God is not afraid of reality. He's the ultimate realist. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't require that we create some little fairy castle that we come and invite him into and then we talk with him there, you know, because, you know, reality is so icky and smelly and messy. Right. You know, God is in the down and dirty with us. And he is the ultimate realist. He's sees... actually where he, he, he'll meet us wherever we're at. <laughs> he see, and he sees everything clearly. You know, Jesus, when he talked... He was the ultimate realist, too. He, he talked and he astonished people the way he talked because he was blunt. 
and yet incredibly loving and holy, and yet he was deeply rooted in reality. He doesn't have to make things up. He doesn't have to pretend. No. Because he has the answer to everything. So he doesn't have to be he's the he never has to be in denial. <laughs> he's the he's, savior. He's confident that he can fix yeah. everything. You know, yeah. we just have to approach, um, agree with him and walk along with him. But And so after this therapy and this person that God brought into your life to help you heal, um, how were you able to take those skills and live them out? Well, I started practicing them right away in my troubled marriage. And so I began to exercise boundaries. I began to speak truthfully instead of just Christian, Christianese hopefulness, but to be to reflect my feelings honestly and um, to listen. And did you find yourself successful at doing that, or did you feel like you were still in training? I think it did help initially because I wasn't provoking things. I wasn't inflaming things. My my own mind and heart were calming down and so I was starting to think and act and speak more like a, an adult um, and not an emotional infant. Which is and you know what's interesting a because a lot of times when we're depressed we feel powerless right mm -hmm. and so sure. by actually executing these skills you gain a little bit of your own power back and I mm -hmm. don't mean that in a in a net the power in the negative sense mm -hmm. I mean just we all have personal power we all have personal space mm -hmm. we all have a right to you know an inalienable right if that's the right word to to have space mm -hmm. we contain space because God created us and we mm -hmm. have space we have the the uh, responsibility to to take up that space and allow mm -hmm. ourselves to have the space mm -hmm. and to let other people allow us to have mm -hmm. that space. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And really, you know, the, the issue of, of becoming a healthy person, one of the biggest issues is boundaries. And one of the things that Carol taught me was that boundaries simply say where I end and you begin. And so um, I began to exercise those kinds of things to have more respect you know, it, for myself as well, and you used the word in your introduction, dignity. Mm -hmm. And I, I gave a lot of my dignity away begging for another person's love. Mm -hmm. And I know that the Lord, after my marriage was over, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and He said, Julie, you never have to beg for anyone's love. That's right. You never have to give your dignity away to have love. That's right. Um, God always preserves our dignity. Now, sometimes we do things that are very dignified, but we don't have to beg for love. We don't, and and really, when you beg or manipulate for love, what you get isn't love. It's compliance. It's something else. Mm -hmm. But any time that you do something that takes away another person's free will by manipulation, That's by right. control, yeah. by dominance, yes. or whatever, or by even submission, if I just submit to you better or whatever. What you get is not love because love never violates another person's free will. And he's free to That's say yes so to me important. or no. He that, know, is that is so part of the important. dignity that we all have as human beings is I can say yes to love or no to love. And as Christians, we're just like, you're, you, it's a constant yes. Mm -hmm. You always have to say yes to everyone and you have to say yes to loving everyone. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we grow in Christ, we do learn to have love, but we express it in appropriate ways. And we can't have deep, intimate relationships with every single person on the planet. We only have so much time and so much energy and so many relationships it we can manage. It reminds me of a song by David Crowder. and He talks about love and he says, I don't know how to be a love like that, the love that God gives us. 
And so I think we're always, we're, we're lovers in training, so to speak. We're learning how to love as we get new skills, as we develop, how, as we interact with people. We're, you know, we're learning how to love like him because none of us really can love like him. So we're all in training. <laughs> and I think, too, when you asked about, you know, how, what, did, what did learning to practice those heart skills look like? One of the things I was always afraid of was taking responsibility and an essential part you know we're, we're in we're relational beings because god is relational he made us in his image well what makes us what makes us like him in his image well he has free will therefore we have free will right. if we don't have free will then we are not made in god's image think of the risk god took when making creatures to love him that have complete free will which means they can say no to him they can reject him. They can abuse him. They can, you know, defy him or whatever. Um, but the other thing is that we have free will, but we are responsible. We're responsible for everything that we do, everything that we choose. And so I learned that taking responsibility was actually, that was one of the biggest things that helped me grow up, was learning to take responsibility for myself, no matter what anybody and, else and was also, doing. And also, I have this word that I call respondability, and that's taking responsibility for your response. Absolutely. You know, how you're, it's not mm -hmm. just taking responsibility for your own actions, mm -hmm. but it's also taking responsibility for how you're going to respond to somebody else's mm -hmm. actions. Mm -hmm. So I... It's it's That's, huge. It's a huge thing, and, and we're very afraid of it. We think it's going to somehow, you know, nobody's head ever exploded from taking responsibility. <laughs> Seriously, nobody ever died from taking responsibility. At least that I, not that I know of. Um, it is actually the pathway to freedom because I can then own my life under Christ. You know, I don't just own my life to do whatever I please. I I want to I want to surrender to Christ all the time, but. I can grow, and I can choose, and I can respond to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, or whatever, no matter what anybody else is doing. I am free to respond, no matter what anybody else is doing. And, the what, and what I learned in my journey, too, is that the minute you take response, more responsibility for yourself and re recognize this gift of free will that mm -hmm. God gives us, mm -hmm. You're not responsible for somebody else's That's exactly choices. Right. That's exactly right. It's like one of the most healthy things you can do is not. And you do, say like you were saying, you do become a responder instead of a reactor. Yes. And I was a big reactor. I was a I was a reactor and I was a manipulator because I was desperate for his love. So I was trying to figure out, you know, it's like stand on my. You if know, I do this, he'll do this. Yeah, I stand. Yeah, do mm -hmm. stand on my hands and do juggle plates with my feet. Whatever I had to do mm -hmm. to try to get mm -hmm. his love, and, and he simply he didn't want to give it. And because that was his choice. That was his choice, and we have to give people the dignity of their choices. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to accept the impact of their choices. That we can limit the impact of their choices by setting boundaries or moving allow, away yeah. or if someone's irresponsible or abusive we can actually say well I'm going to set a boundary here not as punishment but simply until you can be more respectful or until you want to enter in to engage this relationship or commit to the relationship or whatever um, but we don't we're not obligated to reward people with our precious hearts 
and our life and our time and our energies and our resources just because they demand it, but then allow them to abuse us. Okay. And you're talking about healthy skills here. And now you call them heart skills. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how, since obviously this was a journey that God had you on and then you developed, you learned to develop these skills and you realized that there was freedom in that, you overcame your depression, mm -hmm. and and then now you then you began, I'm sure, seeing seeing how you could help other people. So tell me a little bit about the heart the heart skills and what you're doing well, here on the Freedom Farm with that. What happened was as I got healthier, now I lost the marriage. The marriage did not survive, but I regained my sanity. And um, because really when well, you talked about how to stop the pain, um, I, I went into, I was in counseling and therapy with Carol for two and a half years and then I walked out and practiced what she taught me for probably 10 years. So I started with her in my early to mid thirties and, and then practiced those, those skills of the heart, boundaries and speaking truthfully and, and all of that stuff for about 10 years. And then, um, I took part in a book study at church with a couple of women leaders who led it and it was the book was how to stop the pain by dr james b richards he has other books under jim richards or dr jim richards but this one is dr james b richards and it was a bombshell mm -hmm. it's I mean, a knock your socks off rock your world bombshell book if i if if i could give every person that comes to faith in christ a bible and that book mm -hmm. They, they might actually start on the journey of growing up quicker and spend less time. And what I realized, the book is essentially focused on how toxic judgments and narratives attached to our life experiences become the grid that we look at life through. Mm -hmm. And they become, a, and, and God, since, since I have studied this, I've become fascinated with this. It has become a central theme in everything I do and teach and coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The book is a cornerstone title that I use with mm -hmm. book studies. I, I do other book studies too, but I teach on that. God showed me lots of things in the Word and gave me additional insight. And so I, it's one of those things like everybody has their specialty, mm -hmm. and this is my specialty. I know this thing. And it saved my sanity because what was causing the instability was not trauma. It was my response to life. It was the narratives and stories that I chose yeah. that created toxic thinking, toxic grid, look at life through incredible pain. And that's when I realized that our narratives, our internal narratives, the things we come into agreement with, in, for instance, if you say you have a traumatic experience or a loss or a painful thing that happens to you, whether it's a rejection or a loss of someone in your life or a, a something, okay, that's one kind of pain. But it's the meaning we attach to it that mm -hmm. becomes the toxic narrative or the judgment that becomes an abiding torment. It takes us off the normal path of healing, which would be if I was hurt, or say, say somebody offended me or hurt me. Then there's a forgiveness process, there's a grieving process, and, and eventually we can resolve all things to peace. Mm -hmm. God designed all things through his word and his gospel and his spirit mm -hmm. and his blood and his cross to be resolved to peace. may not be immediately, but at some point. As much as it depends on as us. much as it yeah peace <laughs> as much as it depends, depends on, on us. okay but the judgments what they do is they knock us off the healing path into a cycle of try condemn and punish because that's what judgments are in fact we we can use the word assumption we can use those kinds of 
milder words, but really I use the word judgments because it is a weighty word, because it has to do with our emotions, our relationships. It's a spiritual concept. It's a legal concept. It's the opposite of grace. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it was, it's very powerful. And it is so powerful that it has the capacity to drive you insane, to drive you into suicidal depression. And drive other people around. Drive you other crazy. people insane. <laughs> it can actually create personality disorders because of the judgments that we begin to, to create when we're early on in our childhood, when we're f our formative years. And there's a lot of good reasons for that, the way our brains develop and how we process trauma and how we perceive things and see even our brain tells us, you know, the part of our brain that is is responsible for our fight or flight mechanism, the amygdala, mm -hmm. is also the seat of our perceptions. So if we take in a perception at the moment of well anything, we look just look at life. Your sensor, you know, just taking in information through all your five senses. It goes through that sort of switching station of your amygdala and you're deciding is this a threat or is it not a threat and then in your perception of safety and all of these kinds of things have to do with that. So when you're a little child, your, your whole sense of self and your whole sense of experience in the world is very vulnerable and yet God actually created us with that fight or flight mechanism so that we can get ourselves to safety because we as children are absolutely utterly vulnerable. We can't run away, we can't get in a car and drive away if someone's abusing us or we have a traumatic thing or if we even just think something's traumatic. And that's part of, is so amazing about God, among other things, is that he provided this flight or Yeah, they're actually now expanded it from fight or flight to fight, flight, freeze or faint. That's when you get into extreme ends of trauma. Well, I know, like with myself, with my history, I've had been sexually molested, that one of the things that happens is you kind of suppress that memory for a lot, long mm -hmm. while. And, you know, you hear about this all the time now when people come out like years later and talk about, well, he, he abused me then. And everybody goes, well, why didn't you remember it then? Mm -hmm. The reason why is because that's why God protected us that's as right. humans. Because as children, we couldn't... Yeah process what happened right. and that was his way mm -hmm. of saying i'm going to let you deal with it mm -hmm. when it's time mm -hmm. and this is one of the greatest things i think when that god safe. does <laughs> yes when it's safe mm -hmm. and when it's time and when you're ready and he walks along with us all the way until we get to a place where we can address that thing even if it creates a double-mindedness or um, you know, a child becomes a pleaser or a child becomes a rebel or whatever thing they think they need to do to, to, but they wind up with these perceptions of life that then distort the way they look at life all the way through. But God is so kind that he just walks along with us until he's ready to take us on our healing journey. And with that in mind, I, I want to kind of tie up today's sure. segment with just understanding that, mm -hmm. that God is a healing God, mm -hmm. He's a saving God, and He wants, if you're listening out there, He wants to heal you, He wants to save you, He wants to save you from depression, He wants to save you from making these judgments on life, and, and He wants to change your perceptions, mm -hmm. because your percep your, when you change your perceptions, you're gonna change, you're gonna everything. change everything. And so I'm looking forward to our next episode when we're gonna talk a little bit more about that, 
and we're going to talk about the healing and how to stop the pain for sure. <laughs> and so I look forward to, to hearing more about this next time. And until then, take notice. Oh